Hi, I'm Tim. This is We're Only Human, a podcast celebrating the resiliency of the human spirit. We're here to learn where people find the strength to get back up after they get knocked down. Today, I'm joined by Edward Domain. He's a son, a brother, a father, an army veteran, a political activist, which I'm curious uh, how you feel about that term, uh, and an entrepreneur. Um, Edward, uh, Edward, I always call you Ed. Um, Right? Right? It's Ed, right? Not Edward? Well, that's I mean, it is Edward, but... It it depends if you know me. (laughs) If you don't know me, you can call me Edward. But if you know me, you can call me Ed, you can call me Eddie, you can call me Edward, you can call me Mr. Domain, whatever works for you, <laughs> if you know me. Awesome. Well, I, I think I know you because we, we first met, gosh, um, it was 10 years ago. And now I remember, this is the moment I remember us first meeting, but you were here in Chicago. You were working at a startup at the time called The Printed Blog. Um, yes. You were doing ad sales for them. We met at some meetup that startup was having somewhere in in Chicago here, and I don't know. We got to. T- I, I want to say it was somehow, a TechCrunch meetup. It might have been, but I remember after that, I was working on. I had a, an idea at the time, which which was very short lived, uh, called Fishy Wishes. And it, it was delivering uh, beta fish and decorated fish bowls to college students. Um, but you were selling ads for this printed blog, this printed newspaper thing. And I bought an ad in the printed blog and you sold it to me. And I was reading our emails leading up uh, to our interview today. Uh, I was fresh off of coming back from Silicon Valley. I just moved back from San Francisco. Yeah, I just remember you were the most... I remember meeting you and you, you were so nice, but you were the most like friendly um genuine like salesperson it was just such a refreshing i was looking back at that email i'm like oh that's ed (laughs) well thanks buddy i try to be nice oh absolutely so um as i mentioned uh you know i when i think of you um gosh when i think of you when i thought about this podcast i thought of you and you know, just bringing up front here i thought about the accident you had that we're going to talk about i thought about the the Okay, so not everyone knows you like I do, so not everyone can call you Ed, but for, just so everyone knows, um, 2003, and we'll go into detail about this, but 2003, you're in St. Louis, you're on your way to a friend's party. 2013, you're, 2013. Did I say 2003? You did indeed. Oh my gosh. No, 2013. Thank you. Yep. <laughs> um, 2013, in a taxi in St. Louis, on your way to a party. Taxi gets um, side not sideswiped, basically like not rear-ended, but hit on the side, uh, face on. T-boned. T-boned. That's the word I'm looking for. Thank you. Uh, we, T-boned. Um, yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. T-boned. You are in a horrific accident. You are in months and years of recovery and surgeries, which we'll talk about. And then, goodness gracious, to cap it off, uh, the St. Louis political community, if if that's a, a word. Um, <laughs> starts to kind of uh, turn against you for all sorts of reasons. And um, you, as a result, sort of become, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, a, a political ad- uh, activist. Oh my gosh, my words are all over the place this evening. So here's what I want to talk about. To me, you are the definition of of strength, of you know getting back up after getting knocked down. Um, and I think this... You know your story over the past six years is a great example of that. But I want to learn more. 
especially about the years before that. Um, but since we're going to talk a lot about this, I do want to to kind of paint the picture here. So in, in 2012, uh, you move from Chicago to St. Louis. Uh, you're working on an idea, a startup you have at the time called Techly, uh, which hopefully I do this justice, is was going to be a, a website and a community around uh celebrating and and sharing the news about uh technology startups in the midwest correct you win uh in 2012 a $50,000 arch grant which is st louis's new program to attract startups to st louis the only catch not catch there's no strings attached but you have to move to st louis so correct so, so you do um and then in may 2013 you're in St. Louis. You're there for the arts grant. This is not long after you move there. Um, you're on, or you call a cab. You're going with two friends to this friend's Cinco de Mile party. And on the way to the party in the taxi, the taxi driver, while looking at his phone, ends up running through a red light. A full-sized van smashes T-bones into the side of the taxi. You and your two friends are you know, left in this mangled pile. Um, and this is, you know, I'm pulling this from what I read from a very detailed article. So if any of these injuries are incorrect, please correct me. I don't want to paint the wrong picture here. But from what I understand, your pelvis was nearly destroyed. Your left hip was broken. Your femur is floating around inside your thigh. Your nose is broken. Your right shoulder is torn to pieces. The artery in your right arm is severed, which bloats your arm with blood and injures it terribly enough that later on surgeons consider amputation. Is that all accurate? That is all accurate. Yeah. There's more, but yeah, we, we, we could talk a long time. My collarbone broke, my nose broke, uh, all kinds of crazy stuff. Oh my gosh. And then, so, I mean, after that you're recovering for, for months and years. I mean, you're still recovering today, I imagine in, in many ways, not just physically. Um, but then as I mentioned, you know, after this, it's the time of the what's well, the time where Uber is starting to spread? So Uber's about to come to St. Louis. You're obviously a progressive, forward-thinking technology person, a fan of Uber, and this is kind of you know a, a great example of where cabs and Ubers differ. Um, but what you find out is that the cab you were in was uninsured, and um, you kind of well, we'll talk about how you you know kind of the instigating moment there. Um, sure. The, the reason I bring all that up and I've, I've been talking <laughs> so much for these first few minutes is I want to paint the picture that in my mind, when I thought about this podcast and I thought about all that happening to you, goodness gracious, that's, I mean, to me, that was just screaming strength. Like I want to learn so much here about it, it to be perfectly blunt. If that were me, I don't know how the hell I would have gotten through all that. A, I'm, I'm a lot worse with medical and needles and, uh, Asked my sister. She helped me at my knee surgery the first time. And just them putting the IV in me, I was the biggest baby in the world. Um, <laughs> I think that's a natural reaction. We're not supposed to stick needles inside of ourselves. Okay. Thank you. That makes me feel better. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so obviously you're a strong person and we'll talk about where you found the strength to recover from this. But what I'm curious about is before this, way before this, um, when you were young, when you were growing up, um, who who in your life as a child kind of represented strength to you? Like, who was the strongest person you knew growing up? Well, it was my dad, but it wasn't always necessarily um, 
a positive connotation because uh, he was an alcoholic and so he drank too much. But so when he was good, you know, he was good. And when he was bad, he was bad. But like my friends, although, you know, I, a, a lot of the dads in our blue collar, actually a lot of the parents in our blue collar neighborhood, uh, there was a lot of alcoholism. So um, it's not that he was unique, but the joke among my friends was my dad was the the barbarian. And so I heard all these stories about how strong my dad was growing up, but I actually was not. I was very uh, academic and um, didn't like the rough stuff. But as I found out uh, in my neighborhood growing up, you fought. <laughs> so you fought or you got beat up. So I fought. You fought or you got beat up like just in uh, everyday interactions or quarrels like that was the the way it was resolved. Was, oh, like, just physical... yeah, boys. Uh, I mean, girls, too. But yeah, we we fought. We fought a lot. So, yeah, um, like I, I just recall one time being in St. Louis around a group of entrepreneurs and they were talking about something. And one of them said, oh, I was in a fight growing up. And another one said, oh, I was in two. And I thought wow, <laughs> I was usually good for half a dozen a year. <laughs> and I was not a person that liked fighting. They found their way to me, but uh, that was just the neighborhood we grew up in. I don't want to make it sound like it was hardcore, inner city, uh, violent or anything, but it was very blue collar. And so fights were just uh, the way that it went. Sure, sure. So I imagine that as a, as a kid then, that you were used to standing up for yourself. You were used to... Or, or not afraid to stand up for yourself, not afraid to defend yourself. I mean, that just probably became like second nature. Like it, you definitely, I mean, knowing you today, you are not one to back down uh, no matter, no matter <laughs> know, what's coming that, after that's you. That's why I kind of laugh when, when you say that. It's very nice of you to say that, but it was, um, uh, I, I kind of got made that way. I think I, I didn't start off that way. I was a very, uh, academic bookish kid and then you just kind of get forced into it. But the, um, uh, you know, also, uh, the military, uh, had a lot to do with that in terms of confidence, just when you, when you're strong, you know, you're strong and you're confident in who you are. And, and then, conf and then that translates into what you believe and what you believe about yourself. And if somebody starts attacking you and you know, that's not right, then yeah, that that's where that comes from. But, you know, and I also appreciate you saying that, but it hasn't, there was a lot of, a lot of dark days, a lot of dark days, um, coming back from the accident. Oh man, I'm sure. And you mentioned army, um, teaching a lot of this or teaching yeah. a lot of good things too. You were in the army for, for eight years, right? Uh, reserves. Mm -hmm. That's correct. Um, what attracted you to, to joining, you know, the army and, and being in the reserves? Like what kind of led you down that path? Uh, both my grandfathers, um, uh, one more than the other, but one was in the Army of Occupation in Italy uh, at the end of the war. So he was guarding Italian POWs. And then uh, my other grandfather was in the Navy during the war and um, served a bit in the Pacific. And um, so hearing their stories and then it was a very, um, oh, the, the, I keep saying, um, and I apologize, but the way that I was raised was, you know, this is the United States. We're the best country in the world. You know, uh, veterans, uh, it's important to serve your country. And so I just kind of had it in my head that I was going to do that eventually when I got older. But I also remember um, being in Cub Scouts and I wasn't very good at pushing the broom around when I was helping clean something up. And one of the scoutmasters said, you'll never be any good in the military if you can't learn to push a broom. And all the dads laughed. And I said, well, then I guess I can't be in the military. <laughs> I took them very, very literally. <laughs> I, uh, the army taught me how to be very good at pushing a broom. 
<laughs> um, <laughs> you know, when I, you know, I mentioned earlier that you don't, you don't back down. Um, and, and I do mean that in the kindest way. Like to me, I, I speak about that in terms of determination and persistence. And a, a great example of this is after we met, you know, in, in 2009, you were working for that startup uh, doing ad sales. I think we got to talking at the time I was a, a web developer and you found I'm a web developer and you had this idea for what eventually became Techly, but at the time you called it Flyover Geeks. Same idea, yeah. um, having a website to cover technology in the Midwest. You needed to get the website built and uh, you wanted to hire me to build it. Um, and a, a colleague of mine was designing it. So we, we were going to be your little team to get this this done for you. And it's 2010. <laughs> oh man, I, lo- I love you, Ed. I'm looking at this email and we were kind of going back and <laughs> forth about getting, you know, you getting the money together to do this. And you send me this email that says like, I got the money or I'm going to have the money. I just sold my car so that I can have the yep, capital sure did. <laughs> to get this going. What? I mean, I know you believed in this idea. I know that you um, had a passion for this. I don't think I would have sold my car though, Ed. <laughs> and I don't mean that in like, you're a crazy person. I mean this in like, I think you had more determination and persistence than I did at the time. Why did you sell your car? Oh gosh. I had decided I was done with corporate America. Like I had just had it like, Oh, like the stories I could tell you. And I was, so to give you an idea, I was number one in North America at um, Nestle. And one day, um, so I get promoted. And um, one day this woman comes in that this my peer, and I'm sitting with my other peers. And she goes, Hey, does anyone know anybody that would like to work at Krispy Kreme doing what we do? You know, the same type of sales. And then uh, somebody goes, why wouldn't we want to take the job? And we all kind of chuckled. And she said, well, they're only starting everybody at, uh, it was 20,000 more than I was making. But then everybody laughed. And I went, in my head, I'm number one in North America. Everybody in this room is making at least 20K more than I am. And they consider that a low amount. <laughs> so I, uh, I I had had it right away. Like after I talked to my boss, I'm like, I got to work for myself. But so when you said like, why'd you sell your car? This will sound weird being an entrepreneur, but I don't care about money. And I know you have to care about money, but like that was never my driving factor. It's the passion. I want to do what I want to do. And what I like doing is telling stories. And I like writing. I was an English major and I was tired of working for companies that didn't appreciate me that would screw around with my bonus when I broke sales goals. And so I, I just had had it. So when you said like, why'd you sell your car? I'm like, I can get another car, but I got to find out. I have to find out if I can make something out of this. And so I was determined whether I raised funding or not, it was going to happen one way or the other. I love that. It was going to happen one way or another. Like I said, determination and persistence. <laughs> Thanks, man. So, okay, this is great. I, I didn't know about, you know, kind of uh, your, you know, growing up that, you know, it's kind of, like you said, you know, half a dozen fights a year was just pretty normal and, um, I'm sure that instilled a little bit of, like I said, of that determination and strength in you. So we fast forward to May 2013 in St. Louis. Um, and, you know, I, I'm describing this, like like I said, just from everything I know about this. But when I put myself in your shoes, I just, I cannot imagine this. Like, I just can't. I can't f- 
I want to relate to you here and it's hard at the moment because I just don't know what I would do. I can't imagine the way your life changed that day. So it's May 2013, May 4th, you're on your way to this party in the taxi and then this horrific T-bone accident happens. And the next thing you know, you're in a hospital that you pretty much end up being in for the next six months. What Let's just start with what were you feeling when you first were able to come back to to reality and consciousness after this and you're in the hospital? What are you feeling? What's going through your head? Oh, I that's hard to answer because I didn't I was so drugged out of my mind when I came back too and the the trauma was so it was so bad that in the ambulance um as we were heading for the hospital, they're cutting away my jeans. I um, kind of gasped out. I said, check on my friend, Danielle. I mean, I'm saying it faster than I did. And then she managed to wheeze out, I'm here, but we didn't know it yet. Her ribs had broken. It had punctured her lungs. And uh, so the EMT or paramedic above my head says, is there a priest or a reverend or someone you want us to call? And I thought, well, so I said, am I dying? And he said, we're going to try not to let that happen, sir. And then I, I passed out right after that. The, the next thing I knew, I opened my eyes and um, my mom was sitting there. And I said, mom, do you love me? And she said, well, of course I do. Now I'm drugged out of my mind. I said, oh, good. I know it's you then. I know what they're doing here. And she said, what's that? And I said, they're cutting off people's heads and turning them into robots. And then I passed out. <laughs> that was my first memory. Uh, but, but I was high out of my mind on morphine and fresh out of surgery. And then after that, oh, I don't know. It was, I remember, a, I have no idea of time during this, but uh, it might have been the next day, that day. I remember opening my eyes and seeing some people in my hospital room. But I was drugged, like out of my mind. So the first month or two, like, uh, my memories are very sketchy and all over the place. You mentioned, you know, you, you obviously had at least one surgery when you, when you get to the hospital and all this, but how many surgeries did you end up having during those those six months in the hospital? So I have to count. Well, in the hospital, I think it was around 10 or 11, but then uh, I had to have a few more after I got out of the hospital over the next two years, I actually, so this will be funny and I know you haven't asked about it yet, but with uh, PTSD, I went and got the files of all my medical stuff and it's on a, it's on a CD-ROM, which kind of cracked me up. Cause I'm like, I don't own a CD-ROM player. I, uh, but <laughs> that's been my excuse to not actually look at it yet. I haven't wanted to open it up and go through it all. Um, but I think I might need to do that soon just to, to go through it. It's it's weird too, because I have very specific memories of certain moments, but then I have huge blank spots um, over those couple of years while I kept having surgery. So it's, um, it's very weird. And I feel like, um, like I've lived three lives. There was my life to 2013. There was 2013 to sometime in this year. And then whatever my life is going to be this year going forward. A little bit earlier, you mentioned that there were some really dark moments, you know, in the hospital and after the surgery. What, what were those dark moments? Oh, there's been dark moments for years. What I didn't know is that I had PTSD. And um, what the therapist told me, without dragging you through this for an hour, uh, 
anytime a person thinks they're going to die, like legitimately believes that they are about to die. So when the paramedic said to me, is there a reverend or a priest or someone you want us to call? That could give someone PTSD. It turns out I had a, um, uh, was a victim of gun violence and held hostage a, a couple years before that. That could give somebody PTSD. Um, the attacks I came under by some people in politics that didn't want Uber and Lyft in Missouri, like the death threats and all the, the horribleness that they did, that could have given somebody PTSD. So you say like the dark moments in the hospital, there were dark moments, but it was more of a, um, I'm in pain. I don't know what's going on, but I was also on a lot of drugs. And so, I, I mean, I knew what had happened to me. I wasn't that far gone, but it was, um, it was trying to understand when I was going to get out of the hospital. And then when they told me I had to go live in a nursing home, um, God, I'm jumping all around. I'm sorry. So there are, there are a lot of dark times, but it was, uh, I just kept telling myself that it was going to work out. There's nothing you could do to control an accident. Um, but then of course, when I found out I was getting screwed on the settlement side too, that kind of made it worse. It, uh, and then with PTSD, I don't know. I don't know. It's a very long answer. There's a lot of dark moments. <laughs> uh, I, I apologize. There, it was, um, it, it's been a very difficult journey for sure. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Don't apologize. Um, like I said, just imagining what you've been through. Um, th- those, those six months in the hospital, what I'm just thinking like mentally, what helps you get through that? Like, I mean, obviously you don't know, you know, when you're going to get out, you don't know when you're going to feel better. You don't know if there's more surgeries. I mean, I imagine it's just a lot of, I don't know. Yeah. It, yeah. So the way it worked, it worked was I'd have a surgery. And then after I was stable, after a few days in the hospital, they moved me to a nursing home. And so I was really in the nursing home most of the time. And then every time I needed a surgery, I'd be in the hospital for a day, a two, a week, whatever. Then they'd send me back to the nursing home. So uh, being in the nursing home, it was me and a bunch of 70, 80, and 90-year-olds, which was interesting. And uh, I was in a wheelchair. And I was uh, because my femur, uh, my pelvis had taken so much damage, my femur was unattached and just floating around inside my leg. So I had to be on heavy narcotics all the time because every time my femur bumped into my sciatic nerve, it was like the most blinding white light pain you've ever imagined in your life. And I don't know if you know what your sciatic nerve is, but it runs down your um, your thighs on each side and down your foot from your spine. And so normally your femur isn't bumping into it because it's attached to your pelvis. But when it's not attached to your pelvis, it can smack into uh, the sciatic nerve. So um, it was just kind of, I knew I was going to be there a while. So it was just trying to keep a positive mental attitude and get through the next day and get through the next day. And every time I went to the gym, um, I worked my butt off uh, when I was down there uh, because I knew that if I didn't do the physical therapy and the occupational therapy, then um, I was never getting out of there. Um, But I also had to be patient because I kept having to have surgeries all along the way, which would, of course, you know, you'd start to feel a little better. You'd have a surgery and then you'd be knocked flat for a while. Then you start to feel a little better and then it was time for another surgery. So yeah, that was, that was very, very hard. Um, I, I never used to have a needle phobia. I do now, um, because they stuck me so much in there. I, uh, I can't like, I start breathing fast now when needles get near me and my heart starts beating faster. So, so you're not alone on that one. (laughs) I might not be alone on that one, but I think you have a much better reason for not liking needles than, <laughs> than me just being a baby. So 
you know, the one thing that I really learned from you, Ed, was, um, I'll, I'll never forget this. There was, <clears throat> I think it was for Techly, but you threw an event in Chicago years ago. It was at District Bar. Um, I think it was, you were Chicago. starting. What's that? Sorry, I just said good old Chicago. I miss Chicago. I need to get home. It's been a while. Oh, yeah. It, it was, you were doing a little startup showcase event. Um, you got a couple local startups together. I was there, but I, I remember this so vividly. The event, like, I think there were some appetizers and whatnot, but then you kind of like got up. I don't think there was even a stage. You got up on something so that you were elevated and you could get people's attention. And everyone, I mean, just seeing you get up, you know, there were plenty of people there. They turned, they looked, and <clears throat> you just kind of like welcomed everyone. You, I, I immediately had this sense that, like, I mean, I knew you pretty well at the time. Um, but I had this sense that everyone in the room knew you. Everyone in the room could call you Ed. You know, going back to what we said at the beginning, <laughs> no one there was calling you Edward. Everyone there knew you on a personal level. You had reached out to them, and it was just this moment of like community. I didn't. I've been to you know we both back in the day were at a million different technology startup events in Chicago mm-hmm. networking. This wasn't that. This was like family. I mean, I don't. You know, if that sounds cliche or whatnot, but I remember that's always what I'm going for. Thanks, man. That's always what I'm going for. Um, I did the same thing. I think some people would say I did the same thing in St. Louis. At least I hope they would. So, uh, so that's really nice to hear. Thank you. (laughs) You know what? I would agree with that based on, on all the research and everything I know about, you know, and seeing St. Louis and in your time there, the reason I bring it up is because what I imagine you know, you were only in St. Louis for for a short amount of time when this accident happened, but ten months. What I meant, ten months. Okay, so yeah. what I imagine is that when you're in the hospital during this time, I imagine there was some community that came to rally around you, and I only imagine that because that's who you are. Like, I feel like you build a community wherever you are. So, were were you able to get? support from from a community built around you like did people come visit you or you know come i don't know play games with you or or talk to you oh yeah i had a lot of visitors um i was very very fortunate for all the friends that i made that came to visit uh in st louis and some came from out of town but uh yeah the arch grants community uh, that was the grant i won that moved me to town a lot of my friends that had won arch grants came to visit uh, a lot of people overall, as a matter of fact, one of the um, women in the nursing home said to me, you get a lot of visitors. <laughs> so that was, uh, that was, that was very nice. It, it did help a lot. Um, it, it felt good. That's, that's great. I, I was just thinking in my head, like I cannot picture Ed in the hospital with nobody around him because Ed would have already found a community that, you know, it would be there to support him. Thanks, man. Thank you. It's very nice. The community was great. It was, uh, unfortunately, the government was not. But uh, yeah, the community, the community was great. So it it really meant a lot to me. Like people, uh, and I developed strange addictions that I don't have, I didn't have before and I don't have now. But while I was in, man, I ate a lot of Oreos, like a lot of Oreos. <laughs> like people were bringing me bags of Oreos and I would take them apart and smash them together. And I was just like devouring them. That Although gummy bears, I still kind of like, but it was that and gummy bears. I don't know why, but I couldn't eat enough of them. And uh, now I don't eat either of them 
ever. I mean, I'll have a gummy bear from time to time, but like, I really don't buy candy. But it was it was just so weird that while I was in, I couldn't eat enough of it. <laughs> that's, I don't know. That's just amazing. I think it's because it's Oreos and gummy bears. Like, it's what's better than Oreos and gummy bears? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, the food in the hospital was never that great. The nursing home was okay, but ah, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. It was weird. It was weird. So you, you talked about, you, you mentioned how the government wasn't as supportive as a community. So I, I mentioned earlier, but one of the things we learn, well, you learn, and then we all learn after, is that the cab, the taxi that you're in, uh, was not insured through the taxi company that uh, was the company that ran the taxi. Right. And so um, if I remember correctly, I mean, as you rightfully should have you you filed a lawsuit to try and make this right with the taxi company but that didn't end up amounting to anything was that because that they didn't have any insurance and they didn't really have any resources to actually make this right for you right they didn't have uh insurance they claimed that they did they didn't it oh it makes me so mad um the so there is a Metro Taxi Commission in the city of St. Louis that oversees all vehicles for hire. They were the ones keeping ride sharing Uber and Lyft out of the city and subsequently the state. And so uh, they're supposed to have safety inspectors that make like when you get into a cab in the city of Chicago or most cities, you'll see a little sticker. <clears throat> you know, when you're sitting in the back seat, the windows next to you. And then there's that little triangle window that doesn't roll down. You know what I mean? Behind the main. Window. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you'll see a little sticker there. And I asked a cab driver once what it was. And he said, well, that's when they passed their safety inspection. The city of Chicago puts a sticker there. So, you know, the cab is insured. It's safe, et cetera, et cetera. There's none of that in St. Louis. Uh, the, they canceled the safety inspections because why, why inspect cabs? It's like, you know, letting a kid self-regulate cleaning their room. They're probably not going to do it unless you check up on them. And so the same thing happened with uh, the cabs. They didn't have safety inspections. The cab didn't have insurance. And uh, I really got destroyed. Now, they had a... Eh, anyway, I can walk you through the whole thing. But yeah, it, it was a disaster. I should have gotten uh, 1.2 to 1.5 million in any other city. But uh, that wasn't the case in St. Louis. Oh, wow. So, I mean, your, first of all, horrific accident that, you know, as you alluded to, I mean, this isn't just physical changes this is mental changes trauma ptsd this is i'm sure affecting you to this day you're in this horrific accident you're then in the hospital racking up medical bills which don't pay themselves and like i said you know we do live in a country where everyone sues everyone but i think in this instance you were rightfully in this instance you were rightfully going to try and make this right with the company that did this to you and then you find out you can't or you can't get nearly enough to cover the medical bills because they, it turns out, aren't right. prepared to make it right. Um, that's just got to... I mean, you mentioned you, you know this makes you so angry, and I, I imagine anger is a definitely, and rightfully so, is something that comes up a lot. But besides anger, how, how did that make you feel when you found out, hey, we can't actually... You, know, you could sue us all you want, but we can't give you anything because we have nothing. Right. They shut down... They, uh, it turns out they owed the IRS half a million bucks. They had like 15 years of judgments against them where they owed other people money that had been hurting their cabs. 
But in St. Louis, it's so corrupt that uh, nothing ever gets done. It's the, the Metro Taxi Commission pays off the mayor. The mayor vacations with some of the people involved with the Max, Metro Taxi Commission. So they don't want to have to pay more for insurance or pay for a safety inspector for cabs because they're getting their clocks cleaned by Uber and Lyft. So they want to save money wherever they can. Well, where do you save money? on paying your insurance bill, on paying for safety inspections. It's just, it's awful. The one thing they do pay off is the mayor. So it's, uh, St. Louis is a, oh, it is so corrupt. It is just disgusting how corrupt it is. And I caught the receiving end of it. It was, uh, it was awful. How, how did you deal with that anger at the time after after you found out about the the settlement? I mean, like- Oh, I took to Twitter. Uh, I, well, so my friend said, uh, uh, you should turn on public radio. And I did. And they were talking about Uber and Lyft coming to Missouri. And the woman on the that was being interviewed worked for the cab company that uh, uh, I was suing that didn't have insurance. And she said, Uber and Lyft need to do what they learned in kindergarten and follow the rules. And I was like, oh, no. So I called public radio to get through on the talk line. And um, the show was ending. I didn't get through. So I took to Twitter over the next few hours and just lit them up because I was really mad. But what I didn't realize was it was going to catch fire and go viral in a way I never expected. Like overnight I became um, one of the most famous people in St. Louis and it, uh, it just uh, accelerated from there. I became the focal point for a couple different things, corruption, uh, innovation, technology, what the future of St. Louis should be. But really, it was about Uber and Lyft coming to the state and a bunch of corrupt cab owners, uh, cab company owners trying to keep them out. And they lost and I won. And it ended with the Democrats asking me to run for Secretary of State of Missouri. But uh, that was not the time for me to run for politics at all. I, You mentioned this this radio show that you, you tried to call into and you heard. I, I want to talk about this for a moment because I actually did some research on this and honestly it made my blood boil so this is july of 2015 there's a story on st louis public radio um, about uber coming to st louis so the host of this show is interviewing uh as one of the guests um is jamie dolby who at the time is the operations yeah she's the operations manager at harris cab which is the cab company that had the cab that that uh was in the accident and the host of the show asks jamie does it boil down for you and the taxi drivers in this community to an issue of unfair competition? And they're talking about Uber coming to town. And Jamie says, no, it's not about unfair competition. It's about safety. (laughs) Ed, Ed, when I read this transcript, I was freaking out. That's safe for you in a nutshell. That there it is, right there. It's hypocrisy and criminality, and everybody looks the other way. It's it's awful. It really is. I mean, this is you know. So you get into an accident in May of 2013. I don't know what your timeline was on the settlement, but this is this radio show that you heard and your friend told you to listen to is in July of 2015. So over two years after you got into an accident, and when she said it's about safety, I mean. So you described, I mean, your first reaction to this was, was anger. And, and my gosh, it was me too, reading the transcript. Um, and you go on Twitter and you start, you know, kind of trying to, to set the record straight here. Um, how did you, other than get, was that the primary way that you were able to deal with this? It's just, you know, kind of trying to get out there and express, hey, this is not the truth. This is not 
what happened. This is not what you know, you're actually doing. You're saying safety and then take a look at this example of where you didn't care about safety. Is that was that your primary goal here, or I mean, your yes, primary? Yes, I wanted to make sure. Like, it, yes, I didn't want it to happen to somebody else. Like I saw a problem, although I naively thought if I pointed out the holes in their system, like not safety inspecting cabs, uh, subpar insurance, if it even exists at all. But what I was naive about was that they knew that they had problems. They didn't care. And they didn't want anybody pointing out the problems so that they had to spend more money. In the end, it all comes down to a group of corrupt people did not want to buy insurance for their cabs. So they uh, decided to attack me. So when I took to Twitter and pointed all this out, then I came under attack. And then the next thing I knew, I was on every news, radio, newspaper article you can imagine in St. Louis. Uh, I was everywhere. And um, every time one of the taxi commissioners or one of their scummy criminal allies. And I say criminal, I, I can say that because they absolutely broke the law in harassing me and they've broken the law in a number of other ways. But I'd see some of these criminals on TV or in the newspaper and I'd reach out and then uh, the news started reaching out to me. Uh, they always wanted my side of the story. So you had these guys lying through their teeth and then you had me pointing out the ways in which they're lying. They didn't like it. So then the death threat started, then the harassment, then the, um, they would make fun of my physical disfigurements from the accident. Uh, it was, um, it was really bad. It was really bad. So after this radio show, you, you know, you, you sort of become this political activist just out of the necessity, like you said, to, of your personal goal to prevent this from happening to somebody else. And unfortunately what that brings, like you said, is this opposition from from those in charge of various parts of the government in charge of regulating these these taxi cabs um so they come after you in in all sorts of ways as you just described how do you recover from that i mean how do you not just i don't know pack up and leave town or you know go back in your apartment and not come out for 6 months i mean how do you keep going through all that well, I, I actually did all those things. I um, I didn't know at the time, but um, I had a case of PTSD coming on that was going to be, uh, it shook my whole world. And so as all these attacks and horrible things were happening, I had a couple things happening. I was trying to, I had a TV show on uh, public television, PBS, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the Nine Network of St. Louis. And uh, I was trying to, in between surgeries, get enough money to keep that going and uh, get money for another season. It's funny if you ever see old episodes of my show, some of them I'm very thin and look healthy, and some of them I look very fat and greasy. And it's because you can tell when I was having surgeries and when I wasn't. Uh, but so, you asked how I dealt with it. I was trying to find money for another season of my show. I was trying to deal with having surgeries while trying to raise money. Like I remember one time sitting in a meeting where I was talking to potential sponsors and I just wanted to fall over out of my chair. And then I had all these people attacking me. So yeah, I would start isolating myself at home a lot. Um, I got very depressed It because, you know, I had given so much of my time I volunteered for, I mean, I won't give you my whole resume, but I was always doing work for free because I thought, okay, I want a grant from the city. I'm going to give back to the city that gave to me and be a, be a team player here. And 
when I needed help, the leading people in the city, like they just didn't want to hear it. They came down on me. They're like, we wish you wouldn't be so loud or you're making us feel bad about where we live. Like I'm the person breaking the law. And, you know, to put a capstone on it, Steve Stenger, who is the county executive in St. Louis, you have the mayor of the city and the mayor of the county who's called the county executive. I was telling everybody that man was a criminal. He was harassing me. People kept telling me to be quiet. Well, now he's in a federal prison because he was a criminal, uh, not because of harassing me. He was just doing a lot of other horrible things he got caught for. So it really did a number on my brain because I knew I was right. I knew they were harassing me. I knew I was getting screwed legally, financially, and nobody wanted to hear it. And nobody cared. And so one of the things with PTSD is when people think the social safety net is going to support them when something horrible happens to them and it doesn't. Um, women that get raped or sexually assaulted go through this. It, it, it does something to your brain. And it, um, and that's why I say I'm a different person. It just, it shook me to my core because all the things that I believed about, you know, a, a sense of justice and being able to be protected by the law is gone now. It's just completely gone. So it's, uh, it's really, it's really, uh, yeah, it, it, it really hit me hard. And finally I did leave. I had enough. Um, and I also didn't see any more opportunities for myself because St. Louis is a small city, but I, I had to get out. And so I thought about running for secretary of state, but I, I knew, I didn't know I had PTSD, but I knew I wasn't mentally right. And so I had to go. And so I chose Colorado because I didn't necessarily, not for the opportunities, but I was like, I'm going to move to a place after almost dying where I want to live and I'll figure everything else out after choosing the place. And so it worked out that I was able to work for my friends when I moved out here. But, um, it has, that's why I say I've lived three lives. I'm on life number three now. Like everything that came before is just, um, I'm a different person now. That's all. I mean, I, I I'm not a hundred percent different, you know, I'm still me, but I'm just, uh, different, very different. More How serious, are you? Maybe. Yeah, I was going to say, how, how are you different now? Yeah, uh, more serious. I don't, um, unfortunately, I'm very cynical. Uh, I don't trust people uh, as much as I used to. Um, and, you know, with PTSD, you're always looking for an attack that's not coming. And so uh, it's just, it's super depressing. Like when I sometimes will just be going through my day and then I think about where I am, what I'm doing, how I'm not working on my company. I work so hard to get out of corporate America and I worked so hard to get funding and, and denied myself so much. And I finally got there and then to lose it all because I got into a cab that wasn't insured. Just it, ah, it kills me, you know, and like raising venture capital, like someone said to me, Oh, you, you can just go get more. Like they think, I mean, you know, this it's like venture capitals just go, Oh yeah, here's some more money. Fuck it. You know, you lost the last round. No problem. Here's some more cash. Like it doesn't work that way. You know, you only get so many chances and, uh, to, to lose my chance to an accident. It just, it breaks my heart. It, it really, it, it, it does because I've being, you know, forced to, to accept being victimized and forced to accept that I'm never going to get justice for it. And I just, I hate it, but I, it's never going to be fixed. It's never going to be right. So I, I have to move forward um, because I can either not move forward and have gotten victimized or I can move forward and have been victimized, but I can't change the being victimized part. Um, so uh, yeah, it's, it's really hard. It is. Has, 
moving to Colorado helped. Um, like I, I would imagine Colorado, I mean, it's such a beautiful place. The 300 days of sun a year, the mountains, like yeah, has that yes, change yes of scenery. No. Yeah. I mean, uh, you're right. I love the outdoors. I was a Cub Scout, Boy Scout in the army. So I'm in the mountains a lot hiking, but when I moved out here, um, the PTSD was getting worse and I didn't know it. And so, uh, I went through almost two years of heavy duty intensive therapy. Uh, no, two years. And, um, and I've only been out here two and a half. So that gives you an idea. So being here was, I was still intensely depressed because while the change of scenery was good, you know, I had, a, I was building a life for myself in, in St. Louis. I was a part of my community. I, um, you know, the, some of the local kids knew me in my neighborhood and they would stop by my house to chat with me. And it was a rough neighborhood. So, you know, we're always trying to look out for the kids, my neighbors and I. And I volunteered all around town. And I just, you know, I had a life. And I, uh, it makes me pretty sad because I had to let that go. But nobody would help me. I was being uh, ground into, I felt like I was being ground into dust um, by uh, Steve Stanger, the county executive, his friends. Like, they just would not stop harassing me. and. I didn't see an opportunity to get, you know, my business was never coming back and I didn't see a way to start another one there. So I just had to go. But um, I think it's a real shame that they, on one hand, St. Louis says, oh, we want to attract entrepreneurs here and we want people to move here. But then I did all that. And the second I came under attack by those people in the political establishment, no, suddenly nobody wanted to get involved. And I made them feel bad about where they live. It's uh there was a lot of cowardice from people I expected to be braver. And um, yeah, it really broke my heart. Um, it still does, but it's just something I have to live with. You you mentioned two years of intensive therapy. Um, has, has that helped? Um, yes. You know, oh yeah. I was on the verge. Uh, no, I was pretty dysfunctional. Um, I, mean, I was keeping it together during the day, but I would go home and I'd stare at the wall for a few hours. And I just, I couldn't stop obsessing and thinking about trying to find a way out of getting my company back or getting justice, but it was never going to happen. So yeah, cognitive behavioral therapy, um, you do a lot of writing and there's a connection between your brain and your hand, you know, as you write out the things you're thinking about. And it just, uh, it, it did a lot to help me without it. I would have been in big trouble. I had a very good therapist. That's great to hear. That's really great to hear. Cause yeah, when I, you know, I, I look here, when you think about, and I don't mean to recount all this to, to bring this all back for you, but I just think about kind of what that single moment in 2013 took. I mean, it was obviously the months and years of your life tied up in this medical, both physical and mental recovery and those surgeries, the financial burden and the medical bills. And then I think you alluded to it, but in 2015, you know, around the time this radio show uh, um, you know, uh, was on that you, you listened to in 2015, you were about to get more funding for your, your startup. And then unfortunately the venture capitalists yeah. had to pull out just because you had so many surgeries. I think, you know, they were a little bit worried about your health. Um, so, I mean, that's a lot yep. that this accident took from you. Um, and yeah, the reason I ask about, you know, Colorado and the therapy and stuff is I just wonder, you know, all these different tools that you're 
experimenting with, you know, which ones are, are really working for you. And, you know, are there, is there anything else that you've done to really kind of, it sounds to me like the, you mentioned it's your third life here, um, which I think is a, a very eloquent way of putting it. Like you kind of are trying to reset in a way. And I'm wondering if, if there's anything else that you've experimented with in terms of trying to reset. Yeah. Uh, so this is hard too, because, um, with, uh, for a long time I, and it really scared me and I didn't even recognize what it was, but I couldn't think clearly and I wasn't capable of focusing, um, in a way that I always have been my whole life. And so, uh, I started reading again. Um, I mean, I've always been a big reader. I, you know, some of my friends have commented on all the books in my apartment, but I've probably lost more books moving over the years than I actually have out now. And, uh, but books are something that bring me a lot of joy even though I've already read them, I just, I like having them near me. I like seeing them. It always reminds me of what I was doing when I was reading them as well as what the content is. And so, uh, so books are, are my happy place. And, um, I started forcing myself to read because, um, and you know how we all have shorter attention spans with electronics and digital and all that, but I was scared that I couldn't focus. So in addition to therapy, I just forced myself to read. And so there was a series of books I read, but I would catch myself, like I would read a couple pages and then I, all of a sudden I'd realize I wasn't even reading. I would be thinking about the things that happened to me. And so over two years, I read this series of sci-fi books, three of them. Uh, I must've read them four times because I kept reading them over and over to force myself. Cause I would ask myself after I was done reading, I'm like, okay, what happened? And I'd be like, son of a gun, I don't even remember because I was thinking about what happened to me in St. Louis. And I'd go back and I'd read it again. So uh, I don't know if you've heard of these books, um, Altered Carbon. It's also a Netflix series. No, no, I haven't heard uh, of that. Well, the, the the books are much better than the show. But uh, anyway, I really, really enjoyed the books because it also, it's first of all, it's science fiction, but it's really violent. And then it... Uh, um, so it's entertaining. I mean, just in like, you feel like you're reading an action movie, but then it gets really deep into the philosophy of what it means to be human and what is it that makes us human. And I won't bore you with the book, but um, if you're into these types of things, it's really good. But so I forced myself to read it and then I read it again because I didn't remember. And then I read it again and I started to pick up things I had missed the first couple of times I went through. So I read this. I mean, it's not these trilogy of books. Any books would have done. But because I knew I wasn't reading well, I kept reading them over and over. Then when I knew I was reading them right now, I've been picking up other books and just inhaling them. So uh, reading has always been um, reading and writing. Writing has always been cathartic for me. Reading has always been uh, just um brought me joy and happiness and calm. And so I've been doing a lot of reading and now I'm starting to do some more writing. So, uh, yeah. So I guess reading and writing would be it, but forcing myself to really concentrate on what I was reading as opposed to just kind of skimming over it. What kind of writing are you doing? <laughs> uh, so, um, I, I laugh because I'm trying to, make it positive. Most of this, uh, probably all of this won't see the light of day. We'll see. But I was going to write a book about <clears throat> not only what happened, but because I want it to be positive. I don't want it to be a downer, but, uh, and tie the things that happened to me into what I believe and what I'm working on and, and trying to do now. So, uh, it's kind of a bunch of disjointed chapters. Um, like I have one about being held hostage and, uh, another one about something that happened in the hospital. And so um, 
but I don't have a narrative arc through it yet. They're just all these, I guess, for lack of a better term, uh, a bunch of anecdotes uh, from my life. And so I need to either be serious about putting them into a book or just keep doing it for, um, for the, the cathartic, uh, the, the, uh, getting it out of my system. It, it helps. I'm calmer after I write. It's amazing how that works. Like even like I've noticed writing, but even just the simple act of, of talking, whether it's to someone else or even to your, you know, saying things out loud, but the cathartic effect of that, I'm, I'm just blown away by that. Like you never, yeah. at least I never thought that simply, for example, talking to someone about something would ever have any effect beyond the fact that you just talked to them. It was words coming out of your mouth, going into their ear. But like that simple act has such positive cathartic ramifications that I, I just never knew that. Yeah. Well, I guess that's why we're social creatures, right? Because even with entrepreneurial things or business things, I'll get lost in my own head, but then you talk to somebody and you hear it out loud and you're able to bounce stuff off of them. And then it's a, an easier way to work through your problem, I think. But, um, and for me, I was, uh, uh, an English major. And so, um, I'm very right brained. And so, um, writing for me is always, even as a little kid, uh, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. It's, a, it's amazing. Like how I've seen this so many times where someone is trying to figure out a problem, um, might be a software engineer. They're trying to figure out, uh, you know, a bug or a problem and they come over to someone's desk and they just start talking about it out loud, describing it. And then all of a sudden they find the solution and it was just a matter of saying it out loud and kind of, you know, so to speak, bouncing it off someone. The other person didn't do anything but listen. And all of a sudden they <laughs> solved the problem. That happens to me in uh, languages a lot. Um, in college, I took uh, Latin and I also took Russian, but there, I can't tell you how many times I would have a question about something so you raise your hand, the professor calls on you. And then as I'm asking the question, it would click in my head and I would get the answer. But like when I was thinking about it, I couldn't come up with the answer until I said it out loud. So I, I follow you. Yeah, it's amazing. We are just such, the more you think about like humans, we're just such odd creatures. And I mean that in the most like, <laughs> like wonderful way, like not, I guess odd is not a good word for that. Um, but yeah, it's just, we're, we're so complex where... I guess that's why we're the, we're the what superior species on the planet or whatnot. That's why we killed everything else, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's a joke. That's a joke, everybody. <laughs> um. So, so your third life here. Um. I I just love the way you phrase that. Like, I don't I don't know if you were joking or or if that really is kind of how you think about no, it. No, I was but it very really, serious. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I love the way you think about that because um, the, the reason I love that is it really does suggest that like you are resetting here. You are finding the tools you need to get back on your feet, so to speak, and kind of, you know, like you said, you had a life going, kind of get a new life going. And this is the, the Ed 3.0. Yeah. Yeah. It, um, <clears throat> it is. Uh, I probably know myself a little bit better because of going through all this. No, I, I know I do, but, um, I, yeah, it's, uh, but there's some negatives to it too. You know, the, the distrust of, um, people and just, uh, 
I don't know. I'm still figuring it out. You know, I'm, I'm, it's not that PTSD ever goes away, so I can't say I'm cured. I like to say I have it on a leash now, like it's a dog or something, you know, an angry dog. <laughs> but uh, um, it just is something that I've, I know I can deal with now, but it's still there. And it's still, um, it still makes me pretty sad because, you know, I want to be the CEO of and be growing a news company. And I'd finally gotten it. And and I don't know if I'm going to get to do it again. So it uh, that part scares me, and um, and just and being forced to live, you know, to do things you don't want to do, and uh, and to know that you can do everything right, and but if some scenarios, there's some people that are just above the law, and they can harass you, they can slip death threats through your door, they can make social media accounts telling you to kill yourself, and. Uh, assault you. I got assaulted by a cab company owner in person. Uh, it's just in between surgeries. It's just crazy. So, you know, knowing that people can do that and get away with it, it changes you and it makes you, um, just, uh, I don't know. I'm more serious and a little less trustful, I guess, of people, but I'm, I'm still living my life. I mean, I'm not going to hide in my house, but it's, uh, I don't know how to explain it. It's just, it's very hard, but I, I hope that there's happiness in my future and that's what I'm trying to drive towards. Well, I hope so too. Like I said, you are someone who to me has always brought positivity, who has always, like I said, brought community. Um, you know, you mentioned that you volunteered a lot while you were in St. Louis and, you know, I smiled when you said that because I thought that's, that's Ed, like you're always giving a helping hand. Like you said, money's not a driver. Like you just, just a good person. You want to help out. And, you know, it's, that's part of why when I thought about this podcast and you came to mind, that to me was what stuck out. You are one of the best people out there. And then this happened to you and it, you know, regardless what you believe in or, you know, astrology, God, you know, stars, it's just one of those things where you say like, why does this have to happen to that person? Right? Like there's plenty of people out there that are pretty not good people that if bad things have to happen, well, I'm not wishing bad on anybody, but it's unfortunate that this happened to you. Um, so I, I do hope that you find the happiness and that you continue to, you know, grow your third life, so to speak. Um, and that you continue to find tools that, that help you grow that. Yeah. Thank you. That's very nice of you to say. Thank you. And thank you so much for, for taking the time to to chat here and of course. Uh, and be open and share. You know, one thing, again, just very appreciative to you when I, you know, when I, I think I sent you a Facebook message, I said, hey, I have this idea for a podcast. I, I think you'd be a good guest. You right away message back. You're like, oh, absolutely. You know, I'd be happy to be a guest. Um, and, you know, I really appreciated that because I really you know, like... creators. <laughs> You know, it's hard What's to put that? stuff out there. I said, you know, us creators, it's hard when you want to put something out there that you're doing, you know? And so I know how I feel when I do it. So when someone asks me, I'm like, heck yeah, I'll help. You know, we all got to help each other out. Heck yeah, I'll help. See, I think that just, to me, embodies you, Ed. Heck yeah, I'll help. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> well, like I said, thank you so much for, for taking the time. And uh, I really appreciate you sharing everything you did uh, today. Right on. Thanks, Tim. I appreciate it too. Thanks for listening to this episode of We're Only Human. Please go ahead and give us a review or rate us with some stars and maybe tell a friend about the podcast. Thanks.